around it. Um, they're not necessarily a strict chronology. What do I mean? Well, each author has a point they're trying to make. You know, like when you sit down with your friends and you tell them stories about your past. Usually there was some subject, something you guys were talking about. Maybe, maybe if it's guys, you're talking about scars. And, and you start talking about scar, you have a point, a reason why you're sharing your story, right? You're sharing a story about how you got a scar. You're sharing your story about some, you know, whether, whether it's bragging about who's got the biggest or the prettiest or whatever things us guys do or, or ladies, maybe it's a quilt you made and you're, oh, sorry, I'm just grabbing for anything I can. But the idea, surely you guys can kind of track with me, the idea is when we sit down and, and talk with someone, there's context to, to what we're sharing. Luke could have picked a million different healing stories or stories about Jesus or things Jesus taught. When we come to the Gospels, I, I would like you to kind of get your mind out of the idea that we're following some strict form or chronology, but to get your head on the idea that there's a reason Luke's sharing these stories. There's a reason he put them where he put them in the order that he put him in. And it's our job, as those who are trying to think the thoughts after the author, we're trying to think the thoughts after ultimately God has laid into the hearts of his apostles to write the things that he's written. We want to understand why. What is, what is the point? Why these sins, or these, these uh, healing, why the, the correlation with the forgiveness of sins? What is it that he's trying to help us or, or get us to, to lay a hold of. Is there some form of symbolism here? Is there some kind of symbolism with leprosy? Is there some point, the reason why these things are connected? In Matthew chapter 15, verse 30, it says, Great crowds came to him, bringing uh, with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put him at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wandered. And when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Over and over again, we see that phrase. They glorify the God of Israel. Part of our struggle with this, still today, when we talk about healings, when we talk about God healing, part of the reason why there are so many people who reach a point where they're angry at God or frustrated at God because He didn't do something is because we are so connected to the temporal. It matters so much to us what we get now. We are uh, people who like to not have to wait. Right? That's why there are credit issues in the United States of America. That's why some people are drowning under a credit card. Why? Well, I want it now. Well, you can have it if you save and wait. Nope, I don't want to save and wait. I want it now. And we kind of bring that same attitude and that same thought to life. And we look at these stories, and we don't take any time to understand the depth of what the author is trying to get across to us. We just see healing, and we have experiences in our life where God didn't heal. And we get angry, and we get frustrated, we get mad at God, and we think, well, then there's probably not a God, because if there is a God, surely He would heal everybody. Nobody would ever be sick. And I think that that wasn't different then than it is now. 
Because when people got healed, they would run around and they would say, Glory to God. Praise His holy name. And in three years, those same voices are going to shout, Crucify Him. What? Yeah, who do you think the crowd's made up of? We're fickle. Fickle people. And every time Jesus heals guys, it says the same phrase. He had pity on the people. He had compassion. He see them and his heart's breaking. He wants to help them. But here's our struggle. We think that the temporary help is the help we need. And God thinks the permanent one is what you need. And that's what's being illustrated in these two healings. That's what we want to see as we look at them. In Acts chapter 4, verse 21, it says, When they had further threatened them, that's the apostles, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they're praising God for what happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Remember the gate beautiful, a man there lame, that Jesus walked by many times. Peter and John come to him and say, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And we read those things and we, and we fail to connect what else happened in that man's life. Yeah, he got to walk. He got to walk. That's temporary. Every one of us is going to walk till we can't, right? One day we won't be able to walk no more. One day we're going to leave this world. One day we're going to pass from here into eternity. And the question is, is that settled? Or is your eyes totally focused on what you can get right now? Jesus said of a man one time, he said, man, this guy had a lot of stuff and he had a great harvest. And he looked at his barn and he said, I can't put it all in my barn. I'm going to tear this barn down and I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to have more and more stuff. And I'm going to pile up all that stuff until finally I have enough stuff. And then on that day, I'm going to take my rest. And the Lord said, you fool, today your soul is required of you. Now whose will that stuff be? You lived for the temporary, but you never took care of the eternal. We have to understand that that is some of what is being told us. And, and I think the real comprehension of it is in the first miracle. The first miracle that we're going to see, the first healing, sets the stage for the second Luke chose these for a reason. Let's look at it. Uh, in Leviticus 14, before we do, just a little background. I want you to understand when Jesus tells that the leper to go show himself to the priest, what was going to happen. So take a look at it. Le- uh, Leviticus 14, 1 through 9 is the section. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses and said, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He will be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest will look. And if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him, who is to be cleansed, two live clean birds, cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over fresh water. Then he will take the live bird, the cedar wood, the yarn, the hyssop, and dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he will sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease and pronounce him clean. 
And he shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed will wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come to the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he will shave off all the hair from his head, his beard, his eyebrows, everything, all his hair, and he shall wash his clothes, bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. Now, every priest read those words. But they didn't have very many people to do this with. And doesn't it seem a little weird, the stuff you're doing? And what was that all for? And what does it all mean? And what does it all speak of? Well, let's take a look at this section that we're looking at now and see if we can't tie these things together. We see in in Luke 5.12, it says this, While he was in one of the cities, he's around the Galilee, There came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Okay, so first we've got to talk about this concept of leprosy. Probably this is not leprosy like we know it. This is probably not Hansen's disease. Certainly not the way Leviticus 13 describes uh, checking for leprosy. The word, uh, the reason they they translate it leprosy is because the Greek word in the Septuagint is leper. Uh, it's a word from which you get leprosy. It just means skin disease. Could be anything. Doesn't have to be fingers falling off, face falling off, crazy, wild leprosy. Maybe, but it doesn't have to be. Here's what I want you to understand. If there was any skin disease, small thing, maybe that maybe like that, that, that we wouldn't think much about today, this person who is relatively healthy would be announced by the priests to be unclean. He would never see his family again. He would live his entire life separated from them, never again touched by another human being unless it was another leper. And it doesn't mean fingers were falling off and his face was falling off. He would have to wear a mask. And everywhere he went, he would have to shout, Unclean! 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 But I want you to understand, we, we, we use the word leper, and so we, we automatically picture their nose is missing and their fingers are gone. So let's get rid of that. Let's say he has psoriasis. What's the big deal? Well, he, he got a white spot on his skin, and the priest declared him to be unclean, and now he can no longer be a part of the community. Now he's separated. And we ask ourselves, well, what, what in the world would be the purpose of that? Why? Why would they do this? Why would this happen? And for me, it's all so that when we come to this moment in the gospel and Jesus lays these things out for us, we can start connecting some dots. Because we so vitally need to learn to. In the first five chapters of Isaiah... Isaiah said, woe to you, and woe to you, and woe to you too, until you get to chapter 6. Chapter 6 begins with this phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah was a good king, blessed by God. When he was weak, he trusted in God so that God would carry him through. But one day he became strong. 
And he decided that he was going to take upon himself responsibilities that he didn't have. And so he went into the temple to take over for the priest. And he's going to offer an offering and he's going to go into the Holy of Holies. And the priests are trying to stop him. King Uzziah, what are you doing? You can't come in here. It's not okay. And King Uzziah is telling him, no man, God is with me. I'm, I, I really got it all together. God wants me to do this. And right then, God made him a leper. And the priest shrieked, oh, King Uzziah, because the leprosy broke out on his face. And he spent the next 16 years, the leper king, co-ruled with his son, lived outside the city, totally separated from the people. Listen, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord and he said this, I am unclean. Why did he say that? Because when we stand before God, we need to know we're all separated. All of us. And until a man can realize that Le- this, this concept of being leprous, this concept of this skin disease, is just an illustration to tell us we're, we're separated from God. And you and I might look at it like it's not such a big deal. But it's a permanent separation, except or with the exception of God doing something that would open that door. And it's illustrated for us in this story with Jesus when a leprous man falls on his knees before holy God and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Folks, that's no different than how every single one of us gets saved. That's no different. We as a leper, as unclean individuals, just like Isaiah declared when he saw the Lord, oh Lord, uh, woe is me. Not woe is them, woe is me. I'm unclean. And I dwell among the people who are all unclean. When he says that, Isaiah, get it, Isaiah is saying, we're all a bunch of lepers. David understood this so that when he sinned, he cried out to God, cleanse me with hyssop. Where do we hear that? Wasn't that out of Leviticus 14? Hyssop has a role to play in the cleansing. No? Let's take a look at what happens. So, I just want you to see this leper comes to him, and he is humble. I love it. He's humble. Does he have a hard time kneeling before Jesus? No, why? Because he's got a lifetime of being rejected. Cast out. Downcast. Looked down on. Society has done that to provide for us an illustration of something we struggle to realize ourselves. See, when we can't see ourselves as a leper, when we don't see ourselves as unclean, we don't want to kneel before God. We want to stand before Him and talk about all the good stuff we got. But the leper doesn't have a hard time finding humility. The leper recognizes his place, recognizes where he's at. Isaiah didn't have a hard time finding humility when he stood before a holy God. When he saw God, he didn't have a hard time going, woe is me. But most of us won't have that moment before we see him after death. So we need to make that moment right now. Because when Isaiah fell down before the Lord and the Lord said, who will go for us? He said, well, Lord, I have unclean lips. I have unclean lips. And an angel came, took a piece of coal from the altar, went over to Isaiah, touched his lips, said, now you're clean. 
What happened to this leper? He falls down before Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What's he do? Touch him. Where'd he touch him, I wonder? I don't know. Maybe just on the shoulder. Maybe touch his lips just like Isaiah. I don't know. All I know is he touched him and said, You're clean. You're clean. What's he do with you and I when we fall down on our knees before holy God and we say, Lord God, I'm separated from you by my sin. God, I need you. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you know that God answers that prayer the same way every time a soul is knelt before the Lord? I am willing. Be clean. Be clean. He reaches down and he touches him. But we also see this same attitude in the other story. The other healing. Okay, we have the the humility, right? We have the humility of the leper coming before Jesus. But then look at this. In verse 18 of Luke 5, it says, Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, the four guys. These four guys, all they know, they go, they just know one thing. All we know is we got to get this guy to Jesus. All they know, I don't know, all I know is everything that this man needs, this, this paralyzed man, everything that he needs is hinging on us getting him to Jesus. We've got to get him to Jesus. We've got to do whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. Because he's got the answer. And so they find before them obstacles. You ever find obstacles in front of you when you're trying to get somebody to Jesus? Bumping into obstacles. They run into obstacles. According to the Greek, it says they were continually trying to get him before Jesus. So we know Jesus was spending a lot of time around the Galilee. So there's probably several times that they'd hear, hey, Jesus is here. And they go and they grab up that bed and they get their buddy in the bed and they go running down. Hey, I heard he was down at the beach teaching out of a boat. We got to get down there. And they get down there and they start bumping in all the crowds and they couldn't get through the crowds before Jesus took off in the boat. Ah. So this day, Jesus is in the building. And they can't get in the door. So they're going to go through the roof. But they're going to do whatever they got to do to get him to Jesus. And there's an important lesson there, no? And it's really not about the healing. It's really about persevering. To get them to Jesus. Overcoming the obstacles that were in front of them. If we can get them. Here's all they know guys. All they know is. If we can get them to Jesus. He's going to be okay. If we can get them to Jesus. He's going to be okay. If we can just get them to Jesus. He's going to be okay. So this is the attitude that they have. But we also see in both stories. Each rely on the will of the Lord. Look at verse 12 again. While he was in one of the cities, a man full of leprosy came. He saw Jesus. He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, what's the next phrase? If you will. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, Mark one forty one says that Jesus was moved with pity or compassion. 
And when sometimes we have a hard time understanding that. Why? Because we get focused on the healing. We get focused on the healing and we, we say, if God doesn't heal, then he can't be a God of compassion. But you know when God talks about his compassion, you know one of the ways he, he speaks about it? One of the ways he talks about his compassion is in Psalm 56, 8. In Psalm 56, 8, he said this, You have kept count of my tossings. God, you know how many times I couldn't sleep. You know how many times I was flopping around in my bed, unable to sleep. Why? Not because all my problems are solved. Why do we toss? Do we toss when all our problems are solved? When, I, when all my problems are solved, I sleep like a baby. When I got problems, I toss and turn. So he says, Lord, you, you keep track. They matter to him. They have a value to God. The next phrase, you put my tears in your bottle. What does that mean? I don't cry, so sometimes we have joy, crying for joy. I don't really understand that, but my wife does it, so I'll give it to her. We have crying for joy. I have never cried for joy, but I have been really happy before. However, that's not what he's talking about here. You put my tears in your bottle. What does it mean? Once again, my suffering mattered to God. It wasn't for nothing. It wasn't just emptiness. It wasn't just happenstance. It didn't just happen and for nothing, and, and so it doesn't matter. It mattered. It mattered so much to God that he counted how many times I tossed and turned. And he kept my tears in a bottle. That, that implies that he's there beside me, scooping up the tears on my face. God has compassion. He has empathy for you and I. It also goes on to say, are they not all in your book? All these things that have happened to me. Does God know them all? Yeah, he knows them all. He knows every single one of them. I also know that He wants to save. I know that He wants to save. In Matthew 23, 37, one of my favorite verses is this. Jesus on His way to the, to the cross, looking over Jerusalem, says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? What's God want to do? Save them. What's the next phrase? You were not willing. God says, man, I want to save you. But you're not willing. While Jesus was here on the earth, when he saw the suffering of mankind, he longed to touch, he longed to heal, he longed to raise, he longed all of those things. But he also knows something. Every one of those people that he healed did what? They died again. Why? Because we are man-made mortal. This body is going to deteriorate. We don't get to keep it forever, do we? And just so you know, the more I wear it out, the less I want it forever. I'm more than happy to trade in the pieces. We are mortal. uh, Sin has entered death into our existence. And through death, our mortality comes. But Jesus comes to say, I want to save you. Now when he says, I want to save you, he wants to save you from that. But we want to be saved from our suffering. Jesus says, man, I want to make it so you can live eternally. 
But we want to be able to see. We want to be able to hear. We want to be able to speak. We want to be able to walk. And all of those things, while good, are at best temporary. My son Joseph is autistic, and there's a lot of things he wants. And not very many of the things he wants are good for him. Is, are we any different, really? And are we, now that we're older, are we so good at understanding what's good for us and what's not? That we feel as though, in our arrogance, we can take the seat of God and say, well, if God doesn't do this my way, then He's not good? But we do that. We struggle with those ideals. We struggle with those things. So we see God's compassion, but I also want you to see their submission. What do I mean? Their submission. They're, they put the, the paralyzed man before God. Do what you will. The leper bows before the Lord. If you are willing, you can make me clean. What are they saying? This is the most powerful thing we can ever say to God. I am yours. Do what you will. Long time ago, guys, when I was a young man and very stupid and filled with a disease for which there is no cure, I, in a single wide trailer in Midway Park, North Carolina, bowed the knee in front of an old couch and I said those words. I can't do nothing about it now. I'm yours, Lord. Do what you will. That was a long time ago. And God in his way, he healed me. I don't know too many people who had HIV and then don't have it no more. I don't know too many of those stories. But I know... That's what God did for me. I didn't go to some special healer. I was in a single wide trailer standing before God. But I said those words, powerful words. That mean every time I say those words, I got, I got cancer, Lord, and I bow down in a single wide trailer in front of a couch and I say, Lord, I'm yours, do what you will. Does that mean God's going to take it away? No. God actually expects you to mean what you said. I'm yours. Do what you will. And really mean, I'm yours. Do what you will. Lock, stock, barrel. There's nothing I have that doesn't belong to him. He can have it all. Every piece of it. Because I recognize in that single wide trailer... Trying to explain to my wife how all these things came to be. That I am a leper. And only God can make me clean. Only God can make me clean. And so I knelt and I said, Lord, that's it. I, I, I wasn't expecting long life. I wasn't expecting kids. I wasn't expecting grandkids. I didn't expect any of those things. Sometimes God gives us more than we deserve. In fact, almost all the time, God gives us more than we deserve. All I wanted to say in that place was, I'm a mess and I messed up, but everything I am is yours. Mess and all. 
That's what these guys are doing. A paralyzed man laying on a mat, can't even get up, looking, looking at Jesus. You know, how hard is it for him to say, everything I am is yours? I can't do nothing. A leper who's been thrown out of society and can't be a part of life anymore, and nobody wants to have around anymore just because his skin's different than somebody else's, is on his knees before God. How hard is it to, for him to say, Lord, all I am is yours? I have nothing. But it's so hard for us to understand where those people in the story, the illustration, we are those who need healed. And the healing we need is not physical. The healing we need is sin. And Jesus brings that out, doesn't he? He wants us to see. He wants us to know. Each one of these guys receives total deliverance. Look at verse 13. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. With one touch... From the master's hand, he restored him socially and physically. With one touch of the master's hand in my life, he restored me physically and socially. With one touch of the master's hand of a, of a paralyzed man, he restored him socially and physically. They're going to get their life back. Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. An abundant life. I've come that you might have these things. And so he does verse 25. When we look at the story of the paralyzed man. It says immediately he rose up before them. Picked up what he had been lying on. And went home glorifying God. Boom. Done. Jesus said. Hey. I will you're clean. Jesus says to the other guy. Rise up and walk. What happens? Gets up and walk. Why? Because Jesus has authority. Jesus has authority to do, to do these things. He totally is able to restore them. But then he also, for me, he also calls for confirmation. Just look at verse 14 and track with me this thought. And he charged him, we're talking about the leprous man, he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded. We just read about that, right? You remember? As Moses commanded for proof, for a proof to who? For a proof to them. Go show yourself to the priests, for a proof to them. Go show yourself to the priests, for a proof to them. I want them to see. I want them to know what has gone on. But now even more, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. They wanted to be healed of their sickness. Jesus sends him to the priest. Now listen, I just want you to get the picture. See the picture. He sends him back to the priest. Now we're going to talk about those birds. You guys remember the birds? Two beings, two earthly beings that live in the heavens. The closest thing we can come to an example of a heavenly being is a bird. It flies in the heavens, right? Are you tracking with me? There's a reason why they chose birds. The bird symbolizes heavenly being. One of those birds is going to die being clothed in earth. Being clothed in earthenware. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that God took of the earth and he formed man. And he breathed into his nostrils and man became a living being. A heavenly being is going to be clothed with clay pot. Or God's going to put on 
flesh. Outside the camp, he's going to be taken over fresh water. There's another way to say that. Living water. Living water is fresh water. All living water. Moving water, spring water, water that's bubbling up out of the ground. That's living water. What is it that Jesus said? He is what? He's living water. If any of you thirst, come unto me and I will give you to drink. Right? He's going to provide. He's going to sustain your thirst. So over living water, they take a bird, put it in a clay pot, and kill it. Now because you and I as men can't make that bird come alive again, there's how many birds? Two. They take the living bird, and they put with that living bird a piece of wood. Interesting, no? What do you think the wood talks about? Cross? How about the scarlet thread of redemption? A little scarlet thread? A cross? Scarlet thread? The concept of being redeemed? And a hyssop? Hyssop was a way in which you would, could scrub your body or a, a method in which blood would be applied or sprinkled on to somebody else. So they take these three things and they put it in that earthen pot and they wash it in the water. And then they pulled the bird out and they let it go. Why? Because Jesus is going to die, but he's not going to stay dead. What's he going to do? He's going to rise again. He's going to rise again, and He is going to ascend once more. He's going to ascend up into the heavens. And then what happens? They're going to take the hyssop, and they're going to take the blood, and they're going to apply it to the man who's unclean, and the blood is going to make him clean. How is it that you and I get saved? By the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to you and I. When we come before the Lord, confess our sins, and we say, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He applies the blood of His Son in our life, and His blood washes me, what? White as snow. Though your sins were as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He makes me clean. The whole thing in Leviticus 14 is a picture of what Jesus is about to do. He says, go show the priests. Make sure they see it as a sign to them. Because they spend most of their life never doing this. Not too many lepers came back to get cleansed. But while Jesus was walking earth for three years, all of a sudden they're doing this thing all the time. Every couple of days, another leper's walking in. One day, ten came in at once. Right? So you have... This, this thing that's going on, what's the purpose? It's a sign for them. What's it a sign for? It's a sign that we can all be cleansed, that our sins can be washed away, and the picture of it is when a leprous man gets clean. And then you begin to understand how the two healings go together. Because when the paralyzed man is laid down in front of Jesus, what does he say to him? It says in verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your what? Sins are forgiven. Oh, why would he do that? Is it because Jesus' concern is greater for our temporal health and that our, our life is full of joy and happiness? Or is Jesus' greater desire to see you Washed clean from your sin. Which is more important? 
Man, I've, I've sat with a lot of people who have lost people they prayed desperately for God to save. And God said no. And I have watched, I don't even know how many of them run away from God because He didn't do what they wanted. Because they're angry that God didn't heal. And when they read the gospel, they see God healing all the time. But they don't want to take the time to get a shovel, stick it down into the Word, flip it over and say, what's going on here? The leper is a picture of a man being cleansed of his sins and washed whiter than snow. The paralyzed man is a picture, Jesus says in the very first line to him, your sins are forgiven you. And immediately all the religious people get all upset. Who are you to forgive this man's sin? So Jesus asked him a question. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven? Or pick up your bed and walk? It's easy to say your sins are forgiven. How do I know it? Because the next part happened. Jesus is showing that he has authority for what? To forgive sins. It's not about healing. Does God heal today? Sure he does. Who gets to pick? God does. I'm okay with that. And I'll pray until the final breath of someone who's sick. I'll pray to the final breath that God will heal them. And I'll believe that God is able to do it at any moment. But it is he who wills and, and does in my life. Because I bowed the knee to God Almighty and I said to Him, I'm yours, do what you will. When I looked at my wife, we had vows. We said, for better or richer or in sickness and in... I said, no matter what, it's you and me till the wheels fall off. I said the same thing to God. No matter what, no matter what you say, what you do, how my life goes, I am your man. Period. Do what you will. That is what a submitted life looks like before a holy God. And it greatly resembles a leper man standing before God asking to be made clean. So Jesus said to this paralyzed man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And immediately he did so. He picked up his bed and he went home. And what was the response of the people? I, I don't want you to miss this last part. First, they're amazed. The Greek word is ekstaso, exostaso. It's the same word from which we would get an English word ecstatic. They're like, Woo! Just blown away. They are literally blown away. Because when you see the power of God work in someone's life, you will be literally blown away. When you see God change a life from, from just whatever debauchery to, to an utter 180 degree turnaround, it is something that will make you ecstatic. They're ecstatic. Why? Because a young man's sins were forgiven? Or because he got up and walked. Should have been because his sins were forgiven. Because that's a pretty big deal. Because when you're forgiven, that's more than temporary. When you're forgiven, that's a lot more. But listen to the next line. They were filled with awe. 
They were filled with awe. Now, sometimes I know I, I go really slow through the scripture and we lose some of our cohesiveness. So I'm going to try to give it back to you. Last week, remember we have Jesus saying, come follow me. Peter in the boat. Jesus says, put, the, put your nets in for a catch. They catch all these fish, you remember? They catch all those fish. They see, a, they see something. They see something that a normal man can't do. And, and Peter's thinking, oh, oh my gosh, there's, this is God. And what does Peter say? He gets down and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. It's almost like kneeling before God and saying, I am a leper. I am unclean, but if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you see the picture? Immediately, the next story is a leper coming before Jesus, dropping on his knees, saying, Lord, I'm unclean, but if you're willing, you can make me clean. The next story is a paralyzed man coming down through the roof. Unclean, obviously, because Jesus says to him for the very beginning, from the get-go, son, your sins are forgiven you. But just so that all those around, you and I and those who are reading and those who are hearing, know that Jesus has authority to forgive sins, he says to the young man, rise up and walk. And so the people are ecstatic because they saw something only God could do and they were filled with awe. What did that look like? Like this. Lord, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. That's what all the people are feeling. That's what all the people are are learning. That's what all the people are seeing. Why? Because Jesus is headed to the cross. He's not trying to build a bunch of people to follow Him, but He is getting them ready. For who? For Peter. Because Peter, 50 days after the the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, is going to preach a message. And what's going to happen? The world is going to understand that we can be forgiven. We can be made clean. We can be cleansed. When Peter starts his message, he says, you bunch of knuckleheads just killed Messiah. And the Bible says they were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do? And he said, repent and believe. And you will be made clean. Wow. That's what's going on. That's what God is laying out for us. That's what God wants us to understand. And finally they say, we have seen strange things. or We have seen extraordinary things. The, the Greek word there is the word paradox. That means we've seen something that we can't explain. We've seen a man do what only God can do. Make a leper clean. Make a paralyzed man walk. Make, make the storm shut up. Make chaos sit down. And, and pay attention to whatever he says. Because he is a God who is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. According to the power that is working in us. He is able. But we have to come to him. Like that leper. We come to him like that paralyzed man. Maybe people drag us kicking and screaming to get us in front of Jesus. But when you get in front of Jesus, all that we need to come to is that that cry that says, I'm yours. Do what you will. I'm yours. 
faithful, loyal love from us to the one who made us, the one who can make my life make sense, and in the end, promises me he is making all things new. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we have this opportunity to come before you, Lord. We thank you for the truth your word is proclaiming, God. We thank you for the miraculous things that you're doing still today when you change lives. I thank you that today you still heal. I thank you that you are still a God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords. But God, I pray, Lord, that we would be able to get over our our desire for temporary fixes and realize that eternity is what matters. God can fix my leg and He can fix my back and He can fix my eyes, but all of those things are going to quit. What God desperately is telling His people is, I have wanted to save you. I want to save you from an eternity apart from God. I want to save you from that which really matters. Yet we get angry because He doesn't do what we want. Now. God, I just pray, Lord, that we would come to realize that there is power in the name of Jesus, Lord. And there is healing in your hands. And there is the forgiveness of sins. And there is a promise of an eternity that we can't even begin to fathom. And so often we're willing to trade that eternity for something temporal. And we turn our back in anger and walk away from the God who saves. And the tears that run down His face like they ran down His face for Jerusalem. Only now, instead of, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, He's saying your name. The one who slays the prophets and stones those who have been sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children like a a hen gathers her brood beneath her wings. But you are not willing. Same Jesus who walked through those towns and healed them physically. Those same people would shout at the top of their lungs, crucify Him. That's who we are. We are lepers. But He is willing to make us clean. But we like Isaiah, we have to come face to face with who we are. And the only way really that that's done is when we come face to face with who He is. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. I need you to make me clean, Lord. Every one of us, we need that. That is the healing that he came to do. That is the healing that he accomplished So that he could proclaim through the Apostle Paul, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
God, I pray you work in our hearts and lives. Drive us to that point. That we might take a knee. And declare our loving loyalty to the God of gods. The one who saves. The one who is able. The one who has all the answers I don't have. Who knows the way when I am lost. God, I pray that we come face to face with who you are. And that you, Lord God, be glorified and magnified in all we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.